thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to the Wellness Guys Show with wellness experts Dr. Lawrence Tam, Dr. Damian Kristoff, and Dr. Brett Hill. Welcome to the Wellness Guys. I'm Dr. Lawrence Tam. And I'm Dr. Brett Hill. And this is the Wellness Guys Show, weekly show dedicated to bringing wellness into our lives. And yes, guys, you list got that correctly. There's only the two of us tonight. Now, there's no rock star Damien Christoph. Now, it's not totally his fault, though. Um, we, you know, we bring to you every <laughs> single week, you know, guys, you know, the top people in wellness. Um, we search far and wide for our guests. And let me tell you, Brett does an absolutely amazing job at this. You know, but the hardest part for Brett to do this, uh, while we live in Australia, we three of us live in Australia in three different states, right? So three different time zones. So it's hard enough to coordinate us alone in this country, but Tell to coordinate someone, another person <laughs> who is uh, across the United States, uh, who we have on our, on our special guest today, in a totally completely different time zone, um, it's well past Damien's bedtime. And uh, literally, Brett is actually in the next day, uh, while I'm still <laughs> hanging out on the West Coast here, uh, a couple hours away from midnight. So... Uh, there's no demo tonight, uh, but that's okay because our guest today will be, uh, he's a fellow podcaster, uh, but his story is absolutely amazing. He's an entertainment attorney, father of four kids, and the number one best-selling author of Finding Ultra, Rejecting Middle Age, Becoming One of the World's Fittest Men, and Discovering Myself. I love that book title, by the way. Um, what's interesting about his story, though, is, 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 not, is really just about the title of his book, that the, How to Reject Middle Age, because it was not until he was about 40 years old um, which I think that gives a lot of people some hope out there, that he was close to 50 pounds overweight and completely out of shape. And uh, also at that time, he's about 10 years after recovering from drug and alcohol addiction as well. He decided at that time, at 40 years of age, decided that he needed to change and uh, revamped his diet, uh, which we're going to get into a lot today. He started biking, swimming, and running, but two years later, he started competing in triathlons and ultramarathons. This is where it gets interesting. Rich was a top finisher in the 2008 and 2009 Ultraman World Champions in Hawaii. Um, this is just a crazy race. It's like day one, 6.2 miles ocean swim, uh, followed by a 90-mile cross-country bike race. That's just day one. Day two was a 170-mile cycling race, and then the event finished on day three with a 52-mile double marathon. I said miles, not uh, kilometers here. Yeah. Uh, miles, double marathon on the, uh, on the Kona Coast, which is absolutely just staggering. And now, top it off, right, on May 2010, he goes out with his friend and um, sets this thing called the Epic Five Challenge, which is like five Ironman distant triathlons on five islands of Hawaii. Now, listen to this, in under a week. This is just incredible. Um, you, now, most of you think that's already impressive, but he did all of this on a plant-based nutrition. So, yes, that's right. He's, he's a dedicated vegan competing in all these events. And uh, there's this, none other. I'm really excited to bring on Rich Roll to the Wellness Guys podcast show. Welcome, Rich. Hey, guys. How you doing? Thanks for having me. Rich, um, that's an amazing story, story and journey. I, let me ask you the first question. <laughs> what made you drive like from you know being overweight and um for, you know 40 years old in middle age trying to say all right this is a time for change what was the trigger well i think that you know when you when you when you when i was listening to you kind of read the story out loud i was like uh, you know i was like oh wow i did all that like it sounds it sounds so it sounds kind of impressive when you read it but <laughs> reality it didn't it didn't unfold like in you know it's such a compressed period of time and it wasn't like i woke up one day and and you know was hit struck by lightning and had this epiphany and and set about you know this crazy quest it it, it happened very gradually and organically 
um, over the course of like two years. But I think it's, it did start off, um, the whole kind of journey began with uh, a little bit of a health crisis that I had, like just before I turned 40, um, you know, I had been uh, kind of uh, a junk food junkie. I actually have a friend, an Australian friend out here who's a TV guy, this guy, you know, this guy, uh, Andrew Gunsberg, Andrew G. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> anyway, he calls it a he calls it the window diet. He's like, if you can roll down the window and they hand it to you, like the, all, you'll eat it. <laughs> kind of like eating for, you know, my whole life. Like I, I'd been a swimmer in college, but, but other than that, um, you know, when that was over, that was the end of my athletic career and the sort of dietary habits that I formed as a collegiate swimmer stuck with me where, you know, calories are king. And, you know, I, I kind of tricked myself into believing that I was still swimming four hours a day when I wasn't. And, eating McDonald's and Burger King and Taco Bell and Pizza Hut and all that kind of stuff. By the time I was 39 years old, I was about 50 pounds overweight. And it all kind of came to a head when I was going up the stairs late one night after staying up late watching television and my family was sleeping. And I had to like pause halfway up a simple flight of stairs. Like I was, I was winded, buckled over, like sweat on my brow and, you know, kind of almost having an anxiety attack and tightness in my chest. And, and, and I was afraid I was having a heart attack, you know, and that really kind of brought it everything into focus um, for me uh, and, and made me realize that I needed to make some drastic and, and rapid changes <laughs> immediately. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's amazing when you have that wake up call, isn't it? So, look, before you even got to that stage, though, Rich, you said, you know, a decade before that, you'd had another battle, which was which was with addiction. Um, you know how how did you get through that? How did you how did you move on past that? Um, I don't know that I've ever moved on past that. That's something that I live with to this day, and will always live with. And it, you know, in order for me to stay sober, it requires you know constant vigilance, and and you know I'm still very active in a recovery program, and I, and I don't you know I'm not. I'm not the poster child for, you know, working the best recovery program and being an AA and all of that. And I do the best I can and it's difficult for me, but, you know, 10 years prior to that, that sort of staircase moment. Yeah. My, my, my alcoholism and addiction problems kind of came to a head as well. And I, you know, I kind of hit my bottom. Um, and it's a long story, but, but, uh, suffice it to say that, you know, I'd finally reached the point where enough was enough. And, and my life was pretty desperate at the time. Um, I was on the verge of unemployment. I was alienated from my friends and my family that didn't want to speak to me. Uh, I was sleeping on a bare mattress in an empty apartment with no other furniture. And, you know, and, you know, basically, uh, hoping to die and unable to live and, you know, had been, had of course realized that, that I was an alcoholic. I mean, I was drinking around the clock essentially, um, but wasn't able to stop. And, and I tried a couple times on my own to try to figure it out, uh, and, and, and was never successful in that until I kind of reached a point of surrender where I was willing to like, let go and let other people help me and kind of let go of my own ideas about how to solve the problem. Um, and really just kind of, uh, release control, I suppose. Mm. And, that was, you know, that was a very kind of powerful epiphany for me that led me into going to rehab and, you know, I was in rehab for, for a hundred days, you know, that's a long time and a period of time in which I rewired myself and learned new tools for living. And, and so I guess, you know, sort of tying it back to the health incident that followed 10 years later, um, 
because of what I had experienced getting sober, I was able to recognize um, the kind of powerful impact and importance of these little kind of moments in time that occur where a door cracks mm -hmm. open. You have you have a fleeting amount of willingness and and you know a little bit of an eye-opening experience in which you can change your life and you can either seize that moment and do something about it. But if you don't act immediately, uh, it will just pass and you'll be back to doing whatever you were doing. And and because I had had to kind of walk through that door and and go to rehab, getting sober, I was on the staircase, you know, kind of afraid for my life in a different kind of way, I was able to realize, oh, this is just like that other time. Like, I need to do something now or else, you know, if I don't, I'll wake up tomorrow and just go about my way and try to pretend that never happened. Wow. That's that's an amazing journey. I mean, to, to go from there to where you are now, Rich, is, is amazing and a real, a real credit to you. Um, I, I guess a follow-up question to that then is, uh, and I hope this comes across the right way, but... Um, <laughs> You know, some people will talk about uh, you know people having, I guess, a bit of an addictive personality, and and so then I guess if you look at you know those those issues you had back then, and then um, look at perhaps you know the diet you do now, which you know some people would say is you know would consider an extreme sort of diet, and and I guess the sort of exercise you do, which some people would consider, I guess, an extreme form of exercise. You know, do you consider yourself as as someone who has a bit of an addictive personality, and you know how does that manifest to you and in your life and with your your diet and exercise and those sort of things. <laughs> Yeah, it's so funny the way that you kind of couched all that carefully. Yes, of, course, of course, I'm an extreme personality, and I'm definitely attracted to doing things in an extreme way. And and you know, kind of for me, the sort of hey, well, why don't you just you know kind of do it halfway, or 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 you know, why don't you do this in a little bit of a more balanced way? Like that 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 doesn't make sense to me, and never has. And and that's the way that I'm wired. You know what I mean? Like I yeah. could spend the rest of my life trying to be temperate in everything that I do. And I do exercise a lot of effort trying to do that. But I also have to just accept who I am and realize like, hey, you know, like I'm, you know, I like to get really focused on something and pursue that. And if I do it in a healthy way, then that can produce some interesting results. And I think the book is a, is a result of that. But yes, of course. I mean, for me, to, for me to kind of say, oh, well, you know, my exercise routine has nothing to do with my addiction would be silly. Of course, you know, of course, uh, you know, ultra endurance, ultra endurance athletics is the perfect kind of receptacle for the recovering <laughs> alcoholic <laughs> like obsessive activity that you can do. And, and I have to be careful about that, you know, and that's something because I it's I'm not a professional athlete. I don't live in a cabin in the woods and just train all day. Like I've got four kids. I've got responsibilities. I have other things in my life that are important and, you know, and basically more important than my training or what my performance is in a race. And and I have to be vigilant and work hard to kind of keep all of these different sort of plates spinning and in, and in proper balance. Uh, because left to my own devices or if I'm not working a, an active recovery program, I will kind of devote all my energies into one direction and, and lose myself in that. So mm. it, it is, it's, a, it's a reality and it's something that I, you know, contend with. But I will say, you know, of course I get the question every day like, well, you're just you've just transferred your addiction from one thing to the next and and I think that that's a very simplistic way of looking at it of course there's some transference but at the same time I know that that um, the things that I that I do athletically make me a better person I'm a happier more person when I'm training I'm a better dad I'm a better husband um, I'm more productive in my workday when I'm taking care of my physical body uh, and uh, 
I have a friend that I just interviewed who's a similar recovering uh, alcoholic and ultra runner guy who gets the question. He he said something that resonated with me a lot, which was, you know, like drinking was easy. Like reaching out to take a drink was always the easy way out. But getting up in the morning to go run or train, and you're tired. That, that's not the easy way out. That's not the easy choice. Like that takes work and commitment. And there's a... Um, sense of uh, self-esteem and personal value that comes with accomplishing that kind of stuff that you don't get, you know, when you're, when you're drunk in an alley at four in the morning. So mm -hmm. they, they are more distinct than I think it, you know, people want to uh, recognize. It's funny today I was, uh, you know, playing, playing baseball today and uh, I haven't seen this um, teammate for, you know, probably over a year or two. And he saw me today. He's like, man, you're like looking younger every day. Uh, every year I see you, which is kind of crazy. I just had my birthday at 38, year, 38 years old. And he called me Benjamin Button because I feel like I'm going younger each year. But, <laughs> but I mean, I think, you know, you're looking fantastic at your age. And, and you know, you, we've got to do the things that are right. And one of the things that you did was you became a vegan. Could we ask, you know, what made you decide to change to, you know, and actually become a vegan? And what, were you, what are your reasons for it? Yeah, sure. Um, I, I mean, first off, I would say that I'm, I'm, you know, probably the least likely person ever to like, you know, adopt a vegan diet. Um, it was never something that historically growing up held any appeal for me. Um, I was never, you know, I'm, I'm sort of a, a left leaning, you know, politically minded person, but I wasn't like a, a bleeding liberal for the animals. And, you know, I wasn't the kind of guy who was going to grow his hair into dreadlocks and follow the Grateful Dead around. And, you know, in my mind, like being a vegan had this sort of political association and identification with a certain lifestyle that, that, you know, didn't resonate with me. And so the idea of being vegan was like anathema to me. That was never something I was going to do. So the fact that like now I'm in this position where I'm kind of advocating this way of living and eating is, is, you know, the irony is not lost on me, but what happened was, um, you know, I mean, eating the standard American diet, you know, of fast food, et cetera, like, and knowing I needed to change, uh, it was a kind of self-experimentation period that led me into, into a, a plant-based diet. Um, it wasn't because I watched a bunch of documentaries and read a bunch of books, although I would have saved a lot of time had I done so. Um, I first started, you know, I, I did a seven-day fruit and vegetable juice cleanse, and that was kind of a bizarre and remarkable experience, something I didn't think would work for me, but I ended up... Um, being kind of very eye-opening, you know, at the end of that seven, that was sort of like being in detox and rehab again, you know, a couple of days of being buckled over on the couch and not being able to move. And then, you know, by day five and six, feeling like a completely new person. And it made me realize, you know, you're talking about Benjamin Button, you know, the body is incredibly resilient, you know, and the fact that I could abuse my body for, you know, decades with drugs and alcohol and basically my whole life with terrible nutrition. And then in a period of seven days feel, you know, basically just drinking fruit and vegetable juice, feel better than I had, you know, than I could ever remember was mm. you know, quite um, an interesting experience. But then kind of returning to food and thinking, well, what am I going to eat now? Um, <laughs> at the time, I remember thinking, well, I'll try a vegetarian diet um, because that, sounds healthier than what I'm doing. And I think, you know, coming from an addiction perspective, it made sense to me because, you know, as an addict, you have this black and white mentality. It's sort of like you're either using 
or you're sober. You're either drunk or you're, you know, sober. So there's no middle ground. You don't drink a little bit, you know, and vegetarianism made sense to me. I could wrap my brain around. It's like, you're either eating meat or you're not like I could just, that was like a, like a lifeline I could hang on to as like a guiding principle. But it, I didn't do it right. I didn't educate myself. And, you know, I, it, I was always looking for loopholes. Like, well, I can eat Pizza Hut pizza as long as I don't put pepperoni in it. <laughs> so, you know, I'm back on the couch, you know, staying up late watching reruns and feeling like crap. And I was ready to just throw the towel in and say, well, I tried that health experiment and that didn't really work out for me. But I thought I wonder what would happen if I just if I got rid of um, – all the animal products. If I got rid of the dairy, I got rid of the meat and I got rid of this processed foods. I wonder if that would make a difference. And I kind of tried it just to um, prove that it wouldn't work. And again, within seven to 10 days of making that switch, I felt like I felt in the latter days of that juice cleanse and realized, Oh my God, like I can't believe how good I feel. There's something going on here um, that I haven't experienced. And that's when I kind of started to research it and try to figure out how to do it. Right. And I've been doing it ever since, and it's been about six and a half years at this point. Um, and uh, I feel fantastic. And, you know, like yourself, I feel like I'm, you know, getting younger. And uh, it's it's been a crazy, remarkable journey. And I, I can't stress enough that all of the kind of endurance feats that I've achieved and all that sort of athletic things that have occurred would never have happened had I not sort of changed my diet into this plant-based way of eating. I mean, that started the whole thing. And, and uh, you know, people say to me, well, you kind of did all that stuff in spite of your plant-based diet. Like, what if you ate paleo? What if you ate like this? No, you don't understand. Like, like I wouldn't have done any of that without eating this way. This, is, this way has, has made it possible for me to do all these things. Um, it's, it's a great journey, Rich, and it's, it's some amazing changes you've made. I'm, I'm curious about, you know, uh, when you made that change, like how much of your decision to make that change was based around health reasons, and it sounds like it was a fair bit, um, and how much of that was, I guess, around more like moral reasons or environmental reasons? You know, how much did that play into your decision? Right. I mean, when I began, it was strictly for health reasons. It was, it was a very, you know, selfish sort of like, I need, to, I need to fix my health. How am I going to do that? And that's all I cared about. Um, but now, you know, having kind of walked this path for several, several years at this point and, and, you know, educated myself more thoroughly about how all of this works and what's going on with our food system and factory farming and environmental concerns and, and you know, the plight of, of these animals that, that suffer terribly as a result of our system, I've become much more attuned, sensitive and, and outspoken um, about the ills of how you know, the food uh, arrives in our supermarkets and, and on our tables. And, you know, in my opinion, it's an unsustainable, broken system. And not only that, it's not a healthy system for people either. And when you look at how these animals are treated, you know, I don't care if you're the most ardent, you know, right wing Republican. I mean, it's it's difficult to see. And the system is set up to prevent, you know, the consumer from having an understanding of how the how the food is is reharvested and delivered you know and by that i mean livestock i mean it's quite uh it's quite shocking when you see it and meanwhile our soil is getting uh depleted so even the fresh produce that we get is lacking the nutritional density that it once had and you know we're headed in a in a in a direction that is not good for all of us and these are concerns and and important issues that we should all be 
aware of and thinking about. Um, and, uh, and that's kind of, you know, a big part of my mission now. It's not about going out and seeing how far I can run. It's about educating people and inspiring them to make better choices about the food they eat and the way they move their body. Yeah, nice. And, uh, and Rich, I'm, I am actually paleo in, in the way that I eat. So, so I do eat meat, but, but I agree with you 100% on that. And, you know, I think, uh, you know, movies like Food Inc. and, you know, resources like that that are really revealing just some of those farming practices that are out there and how unsustainable that is are, are really important. And, that, that, you know, if we're going to do it, then we've got to make sure we do it right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, as far as like paleo versus plant-based and all of that, I mean, I always have people trying to get me in like a boxing match with the paleo folks. And it's like, you know, and I, I'm always like, actually, you know, plant-based, a plant-based diet and paleo have much more in common than they do have differences. Absolutely. You know, there's a lot of similarities and, and there's also a lot of sort of, you know, uh, aligned consciousness in terms of, you know, the, the, the systemic way in which our food is, is produced, like I just mentioned. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, mate, I've seen your pictures and I definitely don't want to get in a boxing match because yeah. you know, pretty fit. I reckon, I reckon I could be in trouble. Yeah. I don't know about that. I could probably run further, but like I'm pretty skinny, so you could probably out- outbox me. Nice. Hey, uh, Rich, you mentioned before about uh, when you first went vegetarian and how you weren't doing it right. I mean, I guess there's, I think there's probably a lot of people out there listening to this who who either have or or might want to try, you know, going to a vegetarian or or a vegan diet. And can you talk a little bit about what you find people tend to do wrong, like how they tend to get that wrong and and how they can do it better, I guess? Yeah, I think that that some of the most um, kind of common, well, there's common misconception that if you're eating vegan, you're automatically eating healthy. And now there's this proliferation of all these processed sort of vegan foods like fake cheeses and fake meats and all the, all the like. And, you know, maybe in some cases it's better to eat those than dairy or, or, or meat. But quite often, you know, those, those foods aren't any better for you than, you know, than the real thing. So, you know, I think the important thing to bear in mind as, as like the primary guiding principle is just to eat real food. You know, don't eat processed foods. Like don't eat foods that have a bunch of ingredients in them. Stick to the aisles at the grocery store, the fresh produce, um, organic when you can. And, and, uh, and, uh, try to weed out, um, all the processed snacks, the processed cereals, all the things you know, that are in the middle rows of the grocery store. Um, and I think the more that you can get back to just eating real food, the better off uh, you're going to be. And I think if people could do one thing, it would be to stop drinking soda. That could, that's a great place to start. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Rich, I'm going to just shift gears a little bit and just move to some of the mental stuff because I think you can bring a lot to this and um, so because of the, you know, the stuff that you do. Um, from a mental perspective, you know, what, dro- what drives you to do all the ultra marathons? Like, you know, is it something that comes internally? Is it something that there's a mental um, uh, thing that you want to achieve? What is it that uh, drives people? Because I mean, a lot of people want to do these, um, but you know, they don't really have the right motivation. What motivates you to do these type of uh, races? Um, for me, it's really all about a quest for greater self knowledge, and you know, I I was attracted to sort of the endurance type activities, um, not in a racing perspective, but just as like a, like a pastime, because I find it to be very grounding, like an active meditation for me. 
And I think that my, you know, speaking for me personally, like my alcoholism and my drug addiction, these are all kind of like, you know, they're, they're indicia of me kind of looking for <laughs> spiritual answers for myself, you know, uh, obviously in an unhealthy way, but kind of going out on a trail and losing myself for a couple hours for me is a, is a way for me to connect with my environment, with myself, um, in, in a way that I don't get in any other, in any other pursuit. And the racing is just kind of a external manifestation of that. Um, and I think that, that, you know, what drove me and I guess what continues to drive me with respect to these events is, is kind of this question of just how, like I mentioned it earlier, how resilient is the human body, you know? And for me at age 46, you know, decades of alcohol and drug abuse behind me and, you know, many, many years of, of eating poorly. Um, and the fact that at my age, you know, an age where we sort of been raised to believe, you know, we should be much, we should be past our athletic peak and not be concerned with these things to be able to perform as well as I ever had. And to do it, you know, in a way that, is 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 perceived as unconventional because I'm not eating animal products. It's like this ongoing experiment, you know, like, wow, I, I would have not thought that I, I would be doing any of this stuff, let alone performing the way that I'm performing. Um, and uh, and so that's what keeps it fresh and interesting for me. Like, well, what's next? And, right. you know, have I answered that question? Well, I did yeah, those yeah. five no, for weeks, sure. like, is there anything more that can be done? And, and, you know, I, you know, to be able to continue to ask myself that and push and push myself keeps it interesting. Somehow I don't think you've convinced Lawrence to run a marathon there, Rich. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me get it in the same room with you. Instead yeah. of different continents at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Hey, listen, I'll, if, if, if you, you start running, maybe I'll actually get, even consider it. Um, I will ask you this though, because you know, someone actually did mention about running uh, a marathon and I know that, you know, running long distances and stuff and doing these extreme distances. I know it's kind of an odd question, but what are you thinking? You know, like, you know, mentally, what are you actually thinking? And the second question, second part of this question is that, you know, we all have gone through, you know, long distances and where, you know, you're hurting, you know, some, there's a mental barrier there or there's a physical barrier there. You know, what are some of the strategies that you do mentally to kind of break through that? And you know, how do you get your mind, um, get get your mind out of you know the pain or whatever you're struggling through and actually push past it because you know we all do that in life as well uh, but you got to do it during a race as well so how you know how would you answer right. that question i think when i'm when i'm operating at my peak you know I'm, and i'm whether it's a training session or a race and and to ask me like well, what goes through your mind the mind kind of goes blank like you're in the zone you know but there's no thought involved there's no conscious thought you're you're operating kind of in this weird unconscious realm and the only analogy that the analogy i always give is sort of like if you're going if you're going on a road trip let's say you're going on a really long road trip you're going to you got like a 15 hour drive ahead of you mm. the most uncomfortable part of the whole drive is 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 usually like the first 90 minutes because you're not used to sitting down and you know staring out the windshield and you're fidgety and you're playing with the radio or whatever but then you know maybe halfway into the into the drive um you're driving and then you'll kind of come to and like not even realize where you've been like the last hour you know you mm. don't remember your your brain kind of like t turns off mm. and so it's kind of i don't know if you've had that experience but that's kind of like yeah. what it's like yeah uh, yeah i can completely relate to that yeah it's, I, it is 
a weird meditative thing, you know? And then when it gets hard though, when it's like you want to quit and your body's failing, you just have to break it down into the tiniest increments, you know, like I, I don't think I, I have 10 more miles to run or whatever it is. And, you know, you just focus on, I just need to get to that next lamppost. You know, right. if I can just get to that and I'm not going to worry about anything else other than that, when I get there, then I'll worry about the rest. And, and that's a very kind of recovery oriented perspective too, because when you get sober, it's like, Oh my God, you know, I'm never going to drink again. Like what about that bachelor party I have to go to in eight months? Like I'm mm. not going to be able to, it's like, why don't you not worry about what's going to happen in eight months? Like, what are you going to do today? Like, just like, just get through today and focus on making the best choice for you, whether it's dietary exercise or what have you. And, uh, and, and the more you can center in the moment and be present for what is happening, then the better you are going to perform in your race, your training or in life. I remember uh, actually going up to this training camp, like that was probably about 12 years ago. And, um, then the task was getting up at five thirty, and we couldn't talk. And the signal from the instructor was just start following me. And we were just running and we just ran, but no one knew what the, the end was or what distance we we're running. We just were running. And I remember learning about that from that experience is that you, the first thing you feel is all the physical stuff, like what you're saying that, you know, the uncomfortable 90 minutes of just feeling the pain. And then you sort of move to the next level of sort of the, the, the mental part. Then you start like, why am I doing this? Da 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 da, and then you get to this sort of, I guess, you know, quote unquote, spiritual level where just your mind just kind of go blank because you're just moving along. So that's what you, the journey that you're kind of describing. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, and that's that's what it's all. It's it's about accessing that for me. Like that's you know finding the, finding that place and the beauty in that. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, this is great, Rich. I'm loving this interview and, and I'm relating to a lot of it because I have run an ultra marathon. I haven't done as many as you, but I have run an ultra marathon. And, and certainly that's how I felt, particularly in the training phase was just that kind of meditative state, which was just fascinating. But um, obviously with me doing paleo, you know, one of the questions I get all the time is, you know, so what do you eat? Like, what do you eat before? What do you eat during? What do you eat after? And I think for you, you know, doing it vegan, I think we'll get that question even more. So, so what do you eat, Rich? What, what's sort of your pre-race food? What's your during-race food and what's your after-race food? What's that look like for you? Um, you know, are you talking about in a race context? Yeah, I guess training and race, but probably race, I guess. Yeah, I mean, um, it is uh, it's pretty basic stuff. Um, I mean, I, I guess I would say in the morning I would wake up and I'll, I'll have, you know, oatmeal or granola or oftentimes cold quinoa with berries and some almond milk um, with maybe some, you know, ground flax seeds sprinkled over it, something like that. Um, I do a lot of blending in my Vitamix blender. So I like to um, start my day uh, with a blended drink that that starts with dark leafy greens like kale, spinach, chard. Um, if I'm going out for a long training session, uh, I like to put some beets or beet greens in there and then, you know, cut it with some fruit like pineapple or berries and then some superfoods in there like chia seeds, flax seeds, hemp seeds, things like that, but focusing all on like real foods. Um, and then, uh, let's say I'm going out, you know, to race or for a long bike ride. Um, you know, I try to eschew all the kind of sugary, artificially flavored and colored gels and, and drinks, the Gatorades and the like, and, and in favor of real food. So in my bottle, I'll have coconut water. And in my back pocket, I'll have bananas and dates and almond butter sandwiches, things like that. Yeah. Um, and I will, like in a, in a race or if I'm going out for a really long bike ride, I'll use, in terms of like a powder in one of my bottles, I'll use uh, 
uh, maltodextrin um, powder, which is like kind of a more complex carbohydrate. Uh, it doesn't give you that sort of uh, energy rush like a, a high sugar content Gatorade type drink or gel will, but it'll give you kind of a sustained even level of, of uh, calories kind of dripping through your system. Um, and then for electrolytes, I'll usually use like salt stick or something like that. So I'm not getting my electrolytes through some sugary drink, but through, um, you know, like a salt pill. Yeah, nice. And, uh, and Rich, we're almost out of time here, but there's one more thing I'd like to ask you about. And that's, uh, that's the kids. You said you've got four kids. Um, mm-hmm. are, are your four kids vegan? And if so, you know, how have you found that? Has that been an easy process? How old? I'm not sure how old they are either. So, um, you know, how have you found that with the kids and, and that lifestyle? Yeah, it's been an interesting journey. I mean, they're they're they run the gamut of ages. Uh, the oldest is eighteen, and the, the the two older ones are boys, are eighteen and sixteen, and the two younger ones are girls, and they're nine and five. And uh, and they've slowly been gravitating towards a plant based diet over the last couple of years, and not really as a result of any rules that we've imposed upon them, but just by virtue of the way that we shop and eat and prepare meals. And the yeah. little girls have essentially always been vegetarian. Um, and, uh, you know, from time to time they want ice cream or they go to a friend's house, uh, for, or a birthday party and there's pizza or cake. And, you know, as parents, we're not going to tell them they can't eat that or this, you know, we just try to serve good, healthy food at home and, and try to educate them about, you know, what makes, you know, you know, what the body needs and wants and what's not good for you and empower them to make their own choices. Um, and, and let them kind of arrive at the conclusions that they want to arrive at. And, and it's been great. You know, the 18 year old son, now he comes down in the morning and he's still half asleep and he's putting kale into the blender on his own accord, not because I told him that's what he should eat. And, uh, and that's pretty gratifying because, you know, to have kids that are, you know, making that decision for themselves is, is really uh, a gratifying thing especially in light of all the terrible foods that are available and what most kids eat these days. Yeah, for mm. sure. And it's great to have, a, I'm sure, like a mentor at home like yourself to be there to, to kind of guide them in the right direction. Well, yeah, but as parents, it's sort of like kids always want to do the opposite of what their parents are. <laughs> yeah, that's I mean, right. That's tricky. Yeah. Well, Rich, thank you so much, man. This has been a blast interviewing you. It's just been great. Your story is uh, absolutely amazing. Uh, I love for you, all you listeners to go check out his book, which um, is actually now out in paperback as well. It's called Finding Ultra, and uh, it's uh, basically rejecting middle age, becoming one of the world's fittest men. You are actually one of the world's fittest men, top 25, I think. Uh, one of them really, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know that I, yeah, well, what happened there, I'll just say, just as a quick aside, the men's fitness magazine comes out with a list every year of the 25 fittest guys in the world. And then there's guys like on the list that are like, you know, Richard Branson and people that, you know, it's sort of like a publicity thing. And every year they pick a guy who's like an every man guy who's not a professional athlete. And so they picked me one year. So it's not that I actually believe that I'm one of the fittest (laughs) guys in the world, but when you put that on the cover of a book. Yeah. to sell more books yeah. you gotta go with it well hey man you, you definitely the way you look in your pictures you're definitely one of the fittest guys that I know so uh, make sure you check out his podcast Rich uh, actually has a podcast on his own this too as well Rich Roll Podcast uh, just go subscribe that on iTunes and find it there and he has a couple of websites that you can go check out for, to find out more information it's richroll.com that's R-I-C-H-R-O-L-L.com. and you also have a um, um, product uh, website you want to talk a little bit about that 
Yeah, yeah, sure. So I've got a couple of nutritional products. I just started this company and, and uh, we're in the process of, of growing it. So it's, it's just a little startup right now. It's called Jai Lifestyle, J-A-I Lifestyle.com. And I've got uh, an a plant-based athletic recovery supplement product called Jai Repair that's comprised of plant-based protein, L-glutamine, cordyceps, mushroom extracts, like some interesting things in there. It's a kind of a unique product. Um, I got a vitamin B12. And shipping to Australia from the U.S. is quite expensive right now. We're working on international distribution, but right now it, it that is you know that is an issue that we're trying to deal with. But we also have a couple downloadable digital products. I've got a, a, a digital cookbook called Jai Seed, seventy-seven pages of awesome recipes, it's just nine ninety-nine, and that that'll kind of tell you how I eat, what I eat, all the recipes that I use to fuel my training and also, you know, keep my kids happy. They're, it's very family friendly. And then I have a meditation program, or I should say my wife um, devised it. She's a, a yoga teacher and, and meditation practitioner. And that's called Jai Release. It's a series of MP3s. It's a guided meditation program, which is great for beginners who are interested in, in checking it out. And uh, it's helped me a lot. And I think you know, meditation and kind of your spiritual and mental well-being is a huge overlooked aspect of, of, of health and wellness in its holistic sense. So that's kind of why we wanted to put that out there. But if you want to learn more, just go to that site, check it out. That's great. For the U.S. Uh, listeners and Canadian listeners, definitely go check out Jai Lifestyle. I'm sure the shipping will be pretty cheap for you over there. So um, as always, guys, join us each week on thewellnesscouch.com. Love to hear your uh, comments about, about this particular episode and about Rich as well. Uh, carry this conversation on Facebook. As always, go to iTunes, subscribe to us, other wellness guys. And uh, give us our five-star rating if we deserve it. And uh, until next week, begin creating wellness into your lives, lead by example, and let's change the world's health together. Join us next week on The Wellness Couch Show. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Hi, this is Dr. Lawrence Tam from Inside the Champion's Mind. So how does spending 10 hours with the Wellness Guys, the Upper Chat Girls, and 500 other wellness-minded people sound to you? Well, on Saturday, August 17th at the Crown in Melbourne is the place to be for our next Wellness Summit. Group discounts are available for 10 or more delegates, so why not bring your colleagues, your friends, and family for even greater experience? For group discounts and to secure your spot, go to thewellnesssummit.com.